0: episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. I am your host, Derek Loda, and today's guest is Ruben Greff. So Ruben is the host of a popular podcast about raising capital for multifamily syndication, and it's called The Capital Raiser Show. So he speaks with some of the best multifamily syndicators in the country, gets a lot of great insight about how you can also started on raising capital for some multifamily properties. But he's also the capital manager for Bakerson and does marketing, brand awareness, capital raising for the company, which has syndicated and gone full cycle on over 850 units in Arizona. It's a great story, great background of him. He actually started by raising $650,000 of joint venture money uh, through social media, through YouTube, um, just doing some, some great video marketing on that. Uh, to buy some smaller multifamily deals in, in Phoenix, uh, actually during the real estate crash, so that's very interesting there. And yeah, since he started the Capital Raisers show, he's raised an additional five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars through uh, co general partnerships. He's learning a bunch of great methods to build out limited partner, you know, investor databases. And yeah, it's a great show. We also dig into a little bit of the why of investing in real estate, you know, what, what good can come from that uh, more than what may just come, uh, you know, top of mind when you first think about it. Obviously, adding money to, uh, to your retirement funds, added income each month, each quarter, whatever it may be, but the good that we can each individually do uh, to, to help out and, uh, and leave, a, leave a legacy of good. So enjoy today's show. If you like it, please be sure to to rate and review it, and uh, of course, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Enjoy the show. Ruben, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, man. You're welcome, Derek. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to dig into a few different topics today. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, you have your own podcast that you run, you know, digging into how you get got into multifamilies, um, oh, cool. capital raising stuff, a lot of good stuff to get into. But before we really uh, get to uh, topic specific, uh, would you mind just kind of walking through a little bit of your background and you know, kind of what leads you to uh, what you're doing now?
1: It all started with my dad. So he was a single family investor and a doctor and a corporal in the military. But he planted a seed in me when I was very young and said, hey, You know, mijo, I made all my money, or I made my money in real estate, not in, not as a doctor, not in politics or any of the other things that he did. So that stuck with me. And after I graduated college, I tried to figure out how to get in, did mortgages for a little while, and then found a networking group that was teaching real estate. I started a meetup to drive traffic towards it. And met some investors, including one that was buying a bunch of fourplexes during the crash here in Phoenix. And I knew that he had lost all his money in spec homes. So I was like, how are you buying all these fourplexes? Like, you obviously aren't financing them. He's like, I'm raising capital from him. I'm I'm like, is it cool if I just go to your projects and film you there? So maybe we can get some additional investors and kind of pitched him the idea of maybe I could bring some capital to it. You know, So we started shooting videos, educating the public, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was creating a thought leadership platform, an interview-based thought leadership platform. And as a result of just talking about our projects, how we were finding them, how we we're putting them back on the market, how we we're raising capital for them, people started flying into town. We would kind of court them, take them to the properties that we had purchased, and then offer them you know, partnership opportunity with us on a deal. And they would typically say, yeah, I'm very interested, but they wouldn't commit or perform until we would just close it without them and then continue to take stuff down. And they would get that fear of missing out on the deals because they would see us buying stuff super cheap. I think we were buying them like 20,000 a unit back in those days. And they were cash flowing astronomically from day one. So people Got very interested in our business model and started copying it. But a lot of investors, you know, you you share everything because not everybody's going to do it. Some people are just going to be like, "Hey, let me just work with you. You guys are obviously experts." And I raised like six hundred and twenty thousand dollars for a bunch of multis and some small, some small, some single family dwellings, better said. And then, so my partner was all like. Ruben you're so good at the marketing you know like I had started to find the deals and raise the money for them on my own he's like why don't you just focus on marketing so I did and we got this producer to fly into town and we were going to do a pilot for A&E and like we had a book that was going to be written about us and like a drip system a drip campaign and we were going to go on tour and we had all these things but like as we were scaling, he was very focused on micromanaging the contractors. And it got to the point where it was very challenging for him to give time to anything. So he started not showing up to the marketing meetings and the film production crew would be in town and he wouldn't be there. And so we started getting into fights and then we split up and I left real estate altogether for a number of years, like five, six years. But, I had that little taste of multifamily success. And eventually down the road, I think I had lost some inspiration, but I got married and then I got inspired again. And then I was like telling people I want to buy fourplexes because that's all that I knew. I'm going to buy 128 units, right? So fourplex I'll double that. I'll have eight and then 16 and then 32 and that'll be 128 units and that'll cash flow everything that I need through equity appreciation over time to do it. And it was very challenging to scale it and to raise the capital for it and to do it by myself. But I was bitter about the relationship that I, you know, broke up with my partner. And then I presented this plan to somebody and they're like 128 units. Why don't you just buy them right now? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't know how to begin with that. They're like, yeah, dude, there's this thing called syndication. And thus my world expanded to this new concept of team teamwork, right? Teamwork makes a dream work. And it's a multi, it's a, it's a team sport, right? This multifamily thing. So I started interviewing people and was going to pay some money to a guru to teach me how to do it. And I interviewed this local company here in my backyard and I asked them, I'm like, how, who do you, who do you have on your team? Who do I need to have on my team? Like I want to assemble a team that syndicates. And they're like, they turned it around on me. They're like, wait a second. You used to do social media and raised capital from a YouTube channel. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, well, can you just do that for us? Because we're, we need marketing. We need social media. We need, capital we need all these things that like I had a track record of doing so they brought me on board and immediately I knew that I needed a thought leadership platform and since I didn't know how to raise capital for multifamily syndication I started the show specifically to learn how other successful syndicators were raising for their deals and what mindset and strategies and tricks and tools that they were applying to to build their database of investors and because for whatever reason nobody's got a show on raising capital the show took off pretty successfully very rapidly so it's been an exciting journey and i've learned quite a bit and interviewed some of the top syndicators in the country so it's been a really fun journey so far
0: yeah a little bit of uh the highs and the low in terms of uh you know ending that partnership things not working out and you know maybe a kick yourself a little bit for taking five, six years off. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, getting back into it, finding a way to to add that value to a team um, and be able to grow grow through that. But, you know, when you were first, you know, when when it was first said about, um, you know, just getting the 128 units at once, the syndication process, you know, what were you, you know, when you were kind of going through everything, what was like the main focus that you had when you were building that? that team, you know, like, was it in your market or, you know, what was kind of your thought process of how you were going to go, go about and get started in that, you know, and then obviously it led you to, uh, you know, working with the group now, but you know, when you were kind of going off on your own, what was, yeah, what was your, your game plan for that?
1: Yeah. I was just going to hire someone to teach me. That's what, that's what my game plan was. So I actually had a little bit of capital and, I was like, I'm not gonna invest this money with anybody until I I interview at least 10 gurus, right? So I started interviewing all these gurus. There's like Jake and Gino and Vinny Chopra and I think some personal mentors like Trevor McGregor, he's a peak performance coach and Nathan Tabor, who's a spiritual kind of guy that teaches people how to get to their goals. And all these different groups, right? So before I went with anybody, I knew that I wanted to do do, do due diligence on all of them or as many as I could find. But in that process, I interviewed a local syndicator. And then my my journey kind of stopped right there because I joined forces with them. But yeah, that was my mindset. I think I remember going like, I need to figure this out. This is going to get me to my goals, much faster than if I try and do it not to mention that like I wasn't getting any traction trying to do it by myself and I was just like you know what Ruben you need to get over this bitterness that you have about partnerships not every partner is going to be is going to end you know kind of ugly like that one did just be open to it and that's really that shift of of mindset was really what helped me you know attract the right people Cause I, th- I thought, you know, I also had a limiting belief that like multifamily partners, they don't just grow on trees, right. Especially ones that you want to do business with. But what I found from doing the show is that they actually do grow on trees. There's multifamily syndicators all over the country. They're everywhere. Like you go on anybody's podcast, they're always giving you their contact information at the end. Right? So Like they want to be reached out to, and it's just like, if you want to find a partner it's just a matter of interviewing enough people. And some people are like, oh, I can't find a partner. And I'm like, well, how many people have you talked to? Oh, I talked to 12 people. I'm like, no, dude, you have to talk to like a hundred or 150 or 200, you know, to find somebody that resonates with you. It's just very, very similar to underwriting a multifamily deal. You have to find a hundred deals so that you can potentially, you know, maybe you like 10 of them and then you'll, submit an offer on three to end up with one same kind of process with the partner. That's kind of how, that's what my mindset was. It's just like, I got to figure this out. And the original intent was to just hire somebody, but I got fortunate and found a good partner.
0: Yeah. I I know I had gone through a similar, uh, similar situation. You know, I I had a, a deal under contract and I realized I have no network. I mean, it was very limited and I didn't know uh, really anyone who had experience in syndication that was in, you know, where I was living at the time and, you know, kind of went down the path, uh, you know, ended up a little bit opposite of you. I ended up uh, joining with a mentorship program because, you know, obviously I I needed a little bit of experience to guide me and that network, that network, network, network. And that's something that, you know, is so valuable and you find those partners because to reiterate your point. There's a lot of people out there doing it, and a lot of people that share their knowledge and are open to the the possibility yeah. of partnering. You need to make sure it's the right fit for you and have clear guidelines, uh, you know, on the front end. But hey, to be able to meet more and more people uh, is so important. It is a relationship business, and it is a team sport. So, you know, you you had already kind of by default uh, back when you were in your first partnership, you know creating that, that thought leadership platform. And, you know, now obviously with the Capital raiser Show, been able to meet, as you mentioned, some of the top syndicators in the business, just a lot of fantastic, you know, highly skilled, highly experienced individuals in this space. And, you know, I just want to dig into a little bit of that process for, you know, maybe someone that's thinking about, uh, you know, whether it's starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or a meetup, whatever it may be, you know, some, maybe a few uh, pointers for, for someone looking to create that thought leadership platform from, from your experience that you've had and, you know, the things you've learned along the way, uh, you know, for them to get started and the, the key points have been like the most valuable for you.
1: For, for growing a platform. So when I started that meetup where I met my original partner, there was this lady realtor in there and she had a very successful YouTube channel. I'm like, how did you grow your, I have a YouTube channel. Mine sucks compared to yours. How do you get all these subscribers? She's like, all I do is I post something every day. She's like, if you want to grow your, your audience, that's all you have to do is just provide some content. It doesn't even have to be good content, but you have to provide something every day or very frequently or else you'll never grow your subscribership. And then you have to ask people for likes and subscribes, which I was doing, I think to some extent. But primarily, I think what what led to the success of my original YouTube thought leadership platform was that we were providing content and kind of showing some ridiculous amounts of success, you know, like at least what what I considered at that time to be ridiculous because I had never really had success in multifamily or investing. And all of a sudden it's like one deal plus another deal, plus another deal, plus all the deals that he was doing. So we were partnering on deals and then we were like cash flowing astronomically and it was very compelling content. And then the guy had a very unique personality that was just kind of like not necessarily in your face but very confident you know and then like uh we like there was no way that we could mess it up like i was throwing rap music in the background at the time because i didn't know what i was doing and it was still like gaining traction it was ridiculous but that's the key i think even in today's world i no longer have a presence on youtube and when I started my new thought leadership platform, I thought that I could do the same thing that I did back then, but most podcasters like to just stay plugged into your ear. So the YouTube really didn't take off for me. And I think there's some people that are more successful than I am in YouTube, but it, it boils down to that one thing that that real estate lady taught me, which is to be consistent and intentional about adding value and adding content on a very regular basis. So some people like to have all these processes in place and to have all their ducks in a row. I'm not one of those people. I'm a possibilities person. I just jump right in, jump off the cliff, grow my wings on the way down. And that's exactly how I started my show. I hadn't really even listened to anybody's podcast when I launched my show. So I didn't know that there was a format, like you were supposed to give a bio and ask questions and, do this artwork and do all these things like I was just like having conversations with people almost from day one I think there was a couple of shows that I did where I had questions and it was awkward like I would ask a question and then they would stop speaking and then I'd be like um okay that's great thank you and then the next question so I was like I threw this script out I'm just like I'm just gonna have a conversation with these people I bet you it'll be a lot more easy to flow in the conversation. And sure enough, like I got good at it and thought on my feet and just basically responded to whatever people were talking about. And that made the process so much easier and a lot more fun, but it's very different than a lot of people's shows because there's no format and there's no rules.
0: Yeah. I know. I, I certainly kind of learned as I went, you know, I listened back to the first one, just, I mean, my wife, uh, edits my, my show and just how many ums and, you know, and, uh, all of that stuff at the beginning,
1: whereas
0: (laughs) it, whereas it gets a pretty, uh, pretty cleaned out as you go. But again, it's, it's that consistency. You get better at what you do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the same, same for me, try to try to keep stuff a little bit more conversational because, you know, I think the, the number one podcast that people can look at is Joe Rogan experience and how all of his are conversations people yeah. like the conversations the authenticity of it you know it's it's how do you how do you appeal to uh, to that audience but you know and it just yeah it, it keeps it a little bit more smooth and you know, I feel that it's more relaxed. I, I was, I was a little bit more uptight when I was trying to think about, you know, following this <laughs> script too. of these questions. Okay, well, where do I put this question in? And it'd be right. talking about, yeah talking about a topic and then it's something completely different. Whereas this just kind of flows through and through. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like you're able to connect uh, better with not only the audience, but obviously the person that you're interviewing. But, but yeah, oh, and, you, you know, when, you, when you're comfortable with it, I feel too, you come across, uh, you know, as more knowledgeable. You're a little. It's a lot less uh, second guessing of yourself, and you know, again, it resonates with people. This is a thought leadership platform. This is, you know, designed to a provide great value to to the listeners, the viewers, whatever platform it may be. The you know the attendees at a meetup, and also be able to help you grow your network. And you know, it's uh, it's certainly something that uh, that benefits all sides with it. And that's really the, the goal with, uh, with having these platforms, but, you know, I mean, obviously you were able to provide enough value, you know, with the first YouTube videos and, you know, that led to being able to raise money, which it's still to me is a little bit wild to be able to raise money from YouTube videos. So I don't know, maybe you can kind of go into what the heck that process looked like. I know you mentioned that you would, you know, kind of bring them, bring them in and, you know, kind of go through some stuff, but would you you mind just digging a little bit into uh, that? That's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. So there's some things to be really careful and aware of called securities laws, right? Nobody wants to go to jail. So I had studied a little bit about that And I knew that I couldn't ask. And then plus, I have a background in mortgages. So I knew that like truth in lending and like all these things, you can't say like interest rates on there. And that kind of helped me on the capital raising side of things, because I knew that I couldn't disclose or promise. So we never did. We're just like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we found it. This is, you know, how much we're making on it. Never asked anybody to give us money just basically shared what we were doing and say hey if you ever thought about investing in real estate or you know maybe you want some direction feel free to give us a call and then the idea would be to just give a call to action and get people on the phone and if they liked what you're doing you know who knows maybe a relationship would be created and sure enough we did create some relationships and raise some capital from some some people and we would just take down stuff cash you know no financing you know like People say 100 percent financing doesn't exist. Well, it does if you're just buying stuff with cash with partners' cash.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it's certainly a lot that you need to know. With uh, yeah, you don't want to mess with the securities law. Like, just make sure you're you're solid on that. But you know, like for for myself, I I've always considered myself more of an introvert, and you know, obviously pardon me, obviously you've been able to raise, uh, raise some capital and, you know, are there maybe a few pointers for, you know, how someone that's, that's a little bit more introverted would be able to kind of break through to, you know, they're like, man, I want to get into syndication. I, I need to be able to raise some money, but I don't even know how to do it. I, I don't have a, a deal. You know, I, I just, why would anyone give money to me? How do I even go about this? You have yeah. any advice for that? Because I think that is a huge hurdle that mm. people need to overcome yeah. if you're going to have success.
1: I don't think it has as much to do with anybody being introverted as much as it is dealing with your own limited beliefs. Right. So I think we all as human beings have certain things that society has programmed into us. We're all kind of programmed to be ordinary. Right. Go to school, go to get a job, have a safe 401k and nobody really in society kind of pushes this philosophy of, like, go out and be great, right? So I think that's the first part. So Some people have that where they're just like, I can't do this. Like, I can't be behind a desk. I can't d- conform to what society does. I can't walk around blindly not knowing that multifamily exists and the generational wealth exist and that if I apply myself, I can create not only success for myself, but for all of my investors and create this generational wealth that hopefully lasts through multiple generations of bloodlines, right? So I think part of it, which any introverted person or extroverted person can do is if they're excited about something, they can talk to people about it. And this business, and particularly the capital raising side of things, it's a relationship business. You hear that it's almost cliche, but that's what it is. One of the things that I learned from a specific mentor named Kevin Sparks was to build a circle of influence that is a huge network. So that's that's kind of an easy part for me because I get really shy at parties with when I'm in front of people that don't have interests that I have. Like I have a really hard time talking to and breaking the ice but if i'm in a room full of snowboarders or a room full of real estate people like i can talk all night because i'm passionate about those two specific topics right so it's very easy and then once you are if it's true that you are passionate about it and you're not force forcing yourself to be passionate about something or that you know if you have that mental block where i'm afraid to talk to people if you can break through those limiting beliefs and be open about what you're passionate about then you can start building relationships and then it's just a numbers game right it's not about selling or raising capital it's about building relationships with people in the same industry that you want to be in and that's exactly been my approach that's what i do on my show when i'm talking to people i'm building literally building relationships with people as i'm interviewing them cracking up you know and you're finding out about them listening to their story and then you know if you crack a couple of jokes you never know sometimes you align with people or develop this maybe you find something that you have in common like spiritual beliefs or whatnot and then that process of just making friends that's what capital raising is for me it's just building relationships and making friends and you're not going to make friends with everybody i mean just think of it like a high school. That's the way I kind of view this industry is like there's going to be all these people in the high school and you're going to gravitate and resonate with a certain little crowd of them. And in this metaphor, like I'm talking about people that you end up partnering with. Right. So that's all it is, man. If, if you're introverted in a high school surrounding, you're not going to make as many friends. But maybe like if you have a specific passion, like whether it's. Get xyz whatever it is you know chess club baseball um rugby whatever that thing is you surround yourself with other people with the exact same interest, and those people are much easier to build relationships with right so that's exactly the same thing that i'm doing and applying here in this space is just making friends
0: yeah and- you know that's something like you like you mentioned. It, it talking about something that you're you're passionate about, you can go you can go on all day. And you know, my my poor wife and the rest of my family, I think uh, has gone through that a lot. But it's something like <laughs> it just gets me going when you have these conversations with other people that that have this interest. You know, it's it can keep going on and on and on. Like it just the possibilities are endless. And it's you know being able to express that enthusiasm, that passion, that knowledge for that industry without, uh, without overwhelming, you know, a potential investor or, you know, someone that would be a little bit more on the early level of being introduced to real estate, but it's something that too, I think having it, having the mindset of, you know, this is really to help you like real estate is such a powerful, powerful tool Mm -hmm. to be able to build like long-term wealth, to be able to build something more that, that lasts after you're gone. And, you know, that's part of you know creating this uh, this platform and, and expanding on it that we were speaking before uh started recording you know expanding the podcast you're you're kind of breaking out having a little bit more of you know a um, little bit more focused topics and different segments under the capital raiser show you know bubble and it's just to you know help create this little you know spoon feeding different ideas and stuff to people because it is there to help them. This this is so powerful. It's not just a, you know, the quote unquote rich man's game. It's it's something that you can anyone conceivably anyone can get into it. You know, obviously uh typically if you're getting in on a, a limited partnership side of uh syndication, you know, there's there's typically some minimums in it. But if you're going in, you know, and you're gonna you want to be active in the business, just follow like what you did. You know, you you've been able to get involved with you know a couple of uh, successful groups, you know, just by adding value to them. If I'm not good at raising raising capital right now, I can partner with someone who's really good at that. You know, yeah. there, there's again, it like you mentioned, it's that team sport. It's that relationship business, relationships with your partners and those partners can be the general partners or the limited partners. You know, they're everyone's partners. When you invest in a, in a syndication, you're all partners in that deal. It's just some have active roles and the rest are are the passengers in the, uh, in the flight. So, you know, just going along with it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's overcoming those limiting beliefs. And for me, the, you know, the way to overcome that was to, to just keep rambling on about real estate. it's, Similar to you, a little bit of a challenge. Those first interactions, breaking that ice, and you know, getting familiar. But oh, you you have interest in real estate or just business? You know, boom, off yeah, off on it, and that starts building that relationship.
1: I think a lot of beginners, including myself, have a focus on me, right? So like, how, like, I mean, especially if there's pressure coming from your partners or your company to raise the capital so you're just like oh if i don't perform if i don't get this capital then then i'm not gonna you know be satisfactory and then it becomes about like you doing this thing and then you lose that focus on on the individual that's really the person that you're trying to serve that's one of the things that i had the major break breakthrough like a mindset shift almost immediately i think on episode six or seven I had Todd Dexheimer on my show and I asked him, like, how do you raise capital for real estate? And he's like, oh, dude, that's like the wrong focus. Like your focus shouldn't be on like, how do you raise capital or how does a person raise capital? It should be like a focus on like providing an opportunity to somebody that you can help create generational wealth in an asset class that most people don't even know is available to them. And I was like, ah, so it's not, you know, like I don't have to approach it for me. And that like helps you not be afraid to talk to people because now it's not about whether or not you're raising capital. It's about whether or not you can actually help somebody. And if you're confident in your deal and in your team or whatever the case may be, then now it's like it uh, becomes a moral imperative of, hey, I want to share with you something that you may not even know it exists and you can do that either through a direct one-on-one conversation or just by posting content about it right people will see you talking about multifamily, and they may ignore it but if you keep doing it for a number of years people will see oh this person's committed and he's doing it with intention maybe i should look into him right you know maybe i should t- ask him a question about like how do how do i do this and Some people will still be stuck in the mindset of like, I see that you're in real estate. Can you tell me how to short sale a house? And you'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't do that, you know, but I do. I do uh, investing in larger properties. If you ever want some information about that, you know, check out my show or check out this or here's where you can find out about that. And then if you'll come across some people that are be like, oh, dude, you're you're doing good and multifamily like how do i get involved with you and they'll they'll start giving you more specific questions on how can i do this with you or how can i leverage your team and your experience and your ability to raise capital to my benefit right because i think john Kasman came on my show and said nobody cares about you or your business and he repeated it he's like nobody cares about you or your business what they care about is how you or your business can help them achieve their goals, right? So that's really the mindset that I think if you have that, it becomes a lot easier to talk to
0: people. Yeah, just provide it out there. And when they're ready, they'll reach out to you, but be that person that they think of when they think of, oh, what is this stuff with this real estate deal? What, what, what's going on there? Oh, oh, yeah, I remember seeing all this stuff from Ruben. Okay, now I reach out you know, and yeah, it goes from there. That's great. That's a great way of looking at it though, is yeah. How do I provide that opportunity for them? It's up to them. You know, you can't force someone and nor should you be, you know, forcing someone to invest money or pressuring them into it. No, it has to be right for them. It has to be about that investor first. You know, it can't be about you. So yeah, just the way of change that perspective.
1: The other the other thing is, too, is like this is uh, for for somebody to put fifty thousand dollars into a deal is a very long sales cycle for somebody because it's not like they're buying a trinket like that. If they mess up on their investment decision to buy a trinket, well, they can just go buy another one tomorrow. This is something that like if you do it wrong, you can never recover from it potentially. Right. So it requires time and patience and like that also makes it easier to raise capital because you know that you're not going in saying, Hey, you know, I want you in my deal or let me sell you this deal because it's just very extremely unlikely that someone's going to be in a 30 minute conversation investing 50 grand of their hard earned money. So then it just becomes about like sharing what you do. And you know, some people will, and some people won't. It's just like walking around with a pot of coffee. Hey, you want some coffee? No, you want some coffee? No, want some coffee. Yeah. I'll take some coffee, you know? some people will be interested right (laughs) you just walk around with the coffee pot somebody is going to say yes if you just keep on walking around with the coffee pot
0: yeah yeah and i mean it like you mentioned it's a it's a significant sum and it's not for everyone the duration of the of the typical hold cycle is something that people just don't they're not comfortable with that you know it is it's Dealing with people's retirement funds usually, and that's you know that's something that uh, a lot of people have been told you do it a very specific way, and that's that's the way it is, and you know that's what's again ordinary. That's what people stick with the path that they follow. So. You put the opportunity out there, and it's up to them to uh, to go, and hopefully that expedites you know how their wealth is able to grow. Again, we be- we know we know about the power of, of multifamily investing. We know the opportunity that's there. It's our our duty to share that to others, and hopefully they come along for the ride. But you know, it's yeah, it's about trying to get people to uh, you know, in my case, to retire from their jobs early to to be able to live a more fulfilling life by having. The freedom to do what they want the time the the money the the lack of you know maybe bring that stress level down a little bit by them not having to worry about stuff as much because they have this money coming in you know so I guess you know kind of to, to shift in uh, towards the last part of the, the show is what with retirement what does you know the word or the version you know the meaning of retirement? What does that mean to you, Ruben?
1: So, there's a couple of different ways that I could answer this question, but I mean, on a technical perspective, if you look at the game cash flow, they they consider you're out of the rat race when you're when you have enough passive income to pay for all of your liabilities and live your desired lifestyle so everybody has a different desired lifestyle some people need to be in a mansion some people just need to be on the beach in a very simple boat or you know tiny house or whatever and it's the location that's the freedom or it's the time freedom that is what's attractive to them for me personally so now that we've defined you know what being financially free is which I'll, I'll repeat is when you have enough passive income to pay for your all of your liabilities and your desired lifestyle for me i'm pretty simple honestly like if i had 10 grand of passive income and i could travel the world and bring my dogs and and um see things that i typically don't yeah, most people typically don't get to see that's enough for me like on a spiritually satisfactory level, I don't know that living on the beach, not doing anything would be very satisfactory, but like in terms of what financial necessary, like what I would need to be financially happy, it wouldn't require very much. So then, you know, the question then becomes, well, what do you need to do? I think for a lot of people, they needed contributing or growing. So that could mean starting your own business or doing something that you're passionate about. Or helping people in some kind of weird way for me I'm very passionate about German Shepherd dogs I think if I had tons and tons of money I would really focus in on like animal abuse and like making sure that people didn't do that and they would get in trouble for it and then prevent so many dogs from being euthanized because I'm very passionate about German Shepherds I'm also very passionate about All of the murders, or I should say the killings that are going on in Africa, like I saw this graphic movie where somebody, you know, went into a wild preserve and killed an elephant and then like very graphically removed the tusks and that poaching stuff does not resonate well with me. So I'm always leaning towards charities or things that involve animal abuse and solving that kind of a thing. So I think I would probably want to build wealth for something like along those lines so that I could give back in that way. And that's what would really drive me much more than my financial needs. Because like I said, I'm very simple. I'd be happy with a few thousand bucks living on the beach, being able to drink and snorkel. I'd be cool with that. But then would I really be having an impact on the planet? No. So then I'd have to come back and do some more work and- that's, what, that's one of the great things about multifamily is, is that you can scale to a point where you can have that impact, not only with the people that you invest with, your investors and providing generational wealth for them, but also the communities that you invest in, the impact that you're having, giving somebody a place that they can call home and raise a family in that's not filled with like environments or people or residents that are disruptive but a peaceful place so I, I like that kind of an impact where you change a neighborhood and make it safe functional durable and clean and then on a grander scale like with that money that you make for yourself what can you do with it what good can you do with it you can do whatever charity you want
0: and you kind of beat me to it i wanted to get on that that aspect of you know the good that can come from you know when the right people have have money and yeah. have wealth, and it's it's not a to have money to to be wealthy, it that doesn't mean you're bad. I think there's there's been a lot of bad press on those who uh those who have the money, but a lot of people, you know, you don't hear about, you don't see what they're doing. They're being very charitable. They're helping out these causes, and it takes someone you know that has that passion about you know each area, each different variety. You know, it might be conservation, you know, preventing animal abuse, you know, again, uh, safe housing for, you know, say single mothers, people who have been through abuse, whatever that causes, you know, involving people in a community garden, you know, providing a positive impact for people. You know, that's, that's something that I want to achieve. You want to achieve. It's being able to help to leave an impact. And that's something that investing in the right stuff, again allows you to be able to do that and you know to do good with your money money can cause both good and bad things to happen in this world and you know we have the choice to uh, and frankly i would say the the obligation the duty to collect as much of that wealth as possible because we know the good that we want to do with it when you want to do good with something you want to help people to build their wealth to to provide for their family to have a have a better life. And then, you know, the money that I earn from that, obviously that helps the investor, the money I have, I want to help, you know, continue to do good and, and help out people who haven't necessarily had the opportunities that I had had the success and, you know, leave a, leave a lasting impact of good. And that's something that I think is, is often overlooked, by when it comes to uh, the people, you know, we'll, we'll just say, again, for the basis of the show that are involved in real estate investing, because, you know, we've been able to meet a lot of people in this space. and There are a lot of very, very good people. And, you know, again, we're trying to continue that path and, and let people know and just keep this train rolling so that we can uh, make a big impact.
1: For sure. I really like that. And then, so there's another level of impact that you're doing just into the economy, right? Because if you're owning 500 units, now you're providing a property manager with a job, you're providing like a janitor or a maintenance guy with a job, you're helping, you know, all of a sudden there's like services that all of these residents need. They need trash utilities. You're helping provide a stimulation to the economy in that regard. And then, you know, so it just trickles down over and over into like, even if you want to get granular, like the food that people are eating on their table, like you're going out and owning a bunch of real estate helps the economy and it stimulates it in that way too. So that's another added benefit.
0: Yeah. And, you know, especially if the property itself is a little, um, you know, say it's been worn down, worn down, it's just, it needs some work. It, it needs to help. It's kind of the eyesore of the neighborhood, or there's been a lot of crime there, you know, whatever it is. If you go in and turn we'll that around, properties. you help that property obviously change dramatically, but it helps that neighborhood and, you know, it can just continue to expand. So it's, yeah, it, you can do a lot of good in it. You know, just here rule number one, don't be a slumlord. There you go. just do do the right thing you will you can still be very profitable for both you your investors and provide a great place for people to live and treat people right you know it's a business it's not a charity you can't let people just keep taking advantage of stuff but the people that generally need help you help them out but everyone you know deserves the opportunity to have a, a clean safe place to live and that's what you know the right owners can provide. And, you know, that's something that, uh, again, that you've been able to provide. And and that's what we strive to do is, is to better communities provide jobs and just help everyone involved in the process. So, yep. Yeah. A lot, a lot of good that come from it. Yeah. A
1: lot, a lot of our team members actually too, you know, they could go out and sell something and make a hundred thousand dollars a year and they're, it's, it's not necessarily always about the money, right? Because if it was just about the money, we could go do something else. But like doing what we do allows us to make that impact on a community to remove the riffraff from a place, to clean up the neighborhood, to provide somebody with a place that they can raise their family or even go in and fix the property management so that they can remove the very uncomfortable people that live there that sell drugs there or whatever. Like you have that kind of an impact and people will be so grateful to you. Like, oh man, now my neighborhood is safe. My apartment community is safe. Like they that's the, something that people are extremely, extremely grateful for. man. Especially if they're raising kids there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take some... Uh negative role models, uh, out of the way and potentially change, change someone's whole trajectory in life. I mean, just by, again, if you take out, uh, some of those, uh, take out the riffraff from property, but yeah, anyway, it great, great conversation. Really appreciate that. I just have one last question for you and that is how can people find out more about you and what you're doing?
1: <laughs> well, if they want to check out my show, Hopefully there's some entertainment value to it, but it's also very educational. It's called the Capital Razor Show. You can find it on Apple or your favorite platform or just go to our website, capitalraisershow.com. And my multifamily company is called Bakerson. You can check us out at bakerson.com and find out about our opportunities there. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. My handle on Instagram is at Capital Razor.
0: Perfect. Well, I encourage people to reach out and yeah, follow along, uh, check out the capital razor show and follow along with what he's doing. And when the time comes, when uh, you want a little bit more information and maybe ready to take that leap in, shoot him a message, shoot him an email and, uh, and go from there. But thank you for, uh, for taking the time, Ruben. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Derek. It's been awesome, dude. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone.